This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. This Saturday is the 16th annual Fossil Road Show at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So we welcome our favorite paleontologist, George Phillips, back to the show to talk fossils. From dinosaurs to ancient sea creatures and plants, Mississippi has a rich fossil history. You may even have a few in your backyard. So get ready to dig as we get ready for the 16th annual Fossil Road Show with paleontologist George Phillips. Join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts, all of or part of on Thursday morning, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So, uh, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Doing quite well. Am I truly your favorite though, Kevin? I, I th- <laughs> actually, I think you might be the only one I know. So, <laughs> I appreciate but it. But yes, we always enjoy having you with us on the on the air, George. You're, you're a good guest. Yeah, I can say unequivocally, you are my favorite. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking about a lot of the upcoming Fossil Road Show, but uh, Libby, you always have some other events uh, to tell us about as well. Let's see. And uh, the Gulf Coast people. They're, they're getting all my attention lately, but and I haven't gone down to any of these field trips, but they all sound wonderful. Abby Dara is um, leading a field trip to Triple Barrel. That's the Pascagoula River Swamp area, and um, it'll be fantastic. I know she's she's really knows about lots of things, and uh, the passerines and water birds especially, upland birds, freshwater marsh, brackish water marsh. Uh, wear your knee boots and any other foot gear that you might need, and um, you're going to get wet and muddy. So she's, which sounds like just the start of fun to me. It's got to be fun. If we're going to wait through the mud, it's going to be a good day. So if you want to do that, let's see, that's the ninth, which is Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you can't come up to Fossil Road Show, <laughs> or, or if you want to try to do both, but the Jackson um, County. Pascagoula River Marsh, and you'll need to get in touch with the, um, let's see, I think Gulf Coast Audubon is the way to Google that and find out more about it. All right. And let's see, and then we're going to talk today about um, Fossil Roadshow at the Mm -hmm. Natural Science Museum on Saturday. And tomorrow, Friday the 8th, is Science Makers Mm -hmm. Day. And particularly if you know a teacher that is um, interested in exposing her students to science or anybody that's homeschooling, a great opportunity to go and be around actual scientists talking about their research. And they're going to do... Their presentations will be uh, adapted to, to children and young adults. So should be lots of fun. Hope to make some future scientists tomorrow. They do this every year and (laughs) yeah I've been two or three times and it's just really very inspiring Mm -hmm. too. All right. You know, a lot of times we, we think our pets uh, run the house and in many ways they do, but I have a story. I outsmarted my cat uh, the other day. Uh, It was time for Brevecto, which I 
is amazing how well that has uh, controlled the fleas on him. He's not, I've not seen a single flea on him since started using it. So that's a quick plug for that, personal plug there. Uh, but anyway, so he somehow always knows when it's time to put that stuff on. So I was going to pick him up, and we ran around, and then he ran down the hallway and ran under my bed. So he got the upper hand for about 15 minutes because I would go to one side of the bed and try <laughs> to grab him, and he would run to the other side. And then when I would go around to the other side, he would, you know, so we played tag there for a while. Finally, I said, all right, I give up. And so I went on and started doing anything else. Well, sure enough, he eventually came out of the bedroom. Well, I have a long hallway in my house that just basically has rooms off the side. So what I did was went down and closed all the doors to all the rooms he could possibly run into, went to get him. He dashed down the hall, and there he was, cornered, and uh, just gave me a little bit of a scratch on the palm there. So he does not like putting that stuff on, but, boy, as I said, it's very effective. So he came up. Uh, about an hour or so later and, and licked my hand so we had made up so all, all is well in the household <laughs> uh, here is an email that I think is a very interesting uh, question that we can talk about for a few minutes it says uh, last week I had the very distressing and sad experience of disposing of one of my eight cats who'd been hit and killed by a car mm. his twin brother and half brother did see him before I buried him but not at the burial location should I have let his siblings see where I buried him and was burying him about a foot deep with a mound completely covered with large rocks enough. This is on my property well away from water sources. So I guess this is kind of an ethical thing, but also are there, Dr. Major, are there any kind of legal uh, constraints or whatever of what you should do with a, uh, a deceased pet? As far as I know, there are no legal restraints on your own property. Uh, I don't think that's an issue. Of course, size of the animal might have might enter in uh certainly with the cat i think that that was adequate i personally would have dug a little bit deeper uh than one foot but that's okay uh the rocks will be great as far as the other cats uh, uh seeing that uh their partner or their housemate i guess or yard mate is mm-hmm. dead i think simply letting them look sniff this sort of thing and know that it's passed away as far as uh, actually placing them or showing them where the, where the cat's buried, I don't think that's necessary, personally. But uh, animals do grieve, and of course, there's a certain amount of, uh, I guess, with more than with multiple cat households, it's not quite as bad as it would be if there was just one cat. But uh, the, yes, they breathe, they uh, grieve for their owners. If uh, someone passes away, a lot of times it, it takes several weeks or even longer, uh, for an animal to get over uh, its grief. All right. So that's interesting. So they do. They would recognize that one of their group was not there anymore. True. That's okay. correct. All right. Well, thank you. That was an interesting email. And uh, if you ever have a question uh, that you can't get answered during the show, uh, we review those emails and always share the ones with you on the air. So it is animals, with an S, at mpbonline.org. So uh, we are visiting today with George Phillips, paleontologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. George, always good to have you with us. Great to be here, Kevin. So any new fossil discoveries or any new stuff that you want to report? Yeah, uh, we we get a lot of uh, calls over the course of the year, um, emails (laughs) over the course of a week. Uh, People uh, want to share pictures, images. A lot of them these days come by text. 
I do give out my personal number a lot against my wife's wishes. <laughs> but a lot of people don't do email these days. They want to send text messages, and I see some amazing things. Uh, you know, most of the time it, the, the items are familiar, but every now and then I'm surprised with something similar. And I, my contacts are not just within the state. They're outside the state. But uh, we get uh, some interesting fossils coming in largely from – or images, that is, coming in largely from northeast Mississippi – um, and really throughout North Mississippi, particularly northeastern Mississippi and central Mississippi. And occasionally we'll get images of uh, objects from south Mississippi, and we always relish those because we don't have a good handle on what the record, fossil record is like in south Mississippi. And when we do get uh, images, they're usually surprising. And one of the things we got within the last year or so were some images from uh, one of the counties in southwest Mississippi. It was uh, Amit, I believe, uh, uh, this would be in the home of Chitter drainage. Uh, this guy uh, found uh, part of the jaws of a new kind of elephant that we had not recorded in Mississippi. Now, it's been known wow. elsewhere, uh, but it, it is unrecorded in the state of Mississippi. And about that same time, now, those deposits were uh, Miocene in age. They were about 15 million years old. Um, but we also, the same year, got uh, some Ice Age reports of these. Uh, Rice Age is much younger. Uh, we're talking in terms of tens of thousands of years old. So we got some Ice Age reports of uh, this same type of creature, a different species. Mm-hmm. So all within the course of one year, we're seeing this this uh, strange elephant called a gomphothier popping up everywhere, <laughs> it seems. But uh, yeah, we've been ex- very excited about that, and uh, particularly the reports out of South Mississippi, because we don't get enough fossil reports out of that part of the state. And we're all excited, always excited about those discoveries because they generally hold something new that we've not encountered before. Right. How much gomphothier? Mm-hmm. Gomphothier. One that had the shovel type. They there are shovel shaped tusks right. in uh-huh. that group. Right. There uh, there are other groups that have that kind of um, tusk shape. But yeah, these guys um, were smaller than your typical Ice Age mammoths and mastodons, uh, and pretty much all the species I can think of were significantly smaller. Uh, and this one from the Miocene epoch in southwest Mississippi uh, probably stood only uh, six and a half feet tall at its tallest point in its back. Um, so their teeth, this guy found the teeth and the tusks, and it was an amazing discovery. And, and a- in a creek or in a... Uh, somewhere in the home of Chitta drainage. That's all we that's know. That's all you can tell me. Okay. <laughs> that's actually oh, all we know. Oh, <laughs> that sounds fun. All right, I'm going to But yeah, the uh, Ice Age finds are from along the river. Most of our Ice Age reports that come uh-huh. into the office are from river finds or finds think. from yeah. streams along the Lurse Bluff. Uh, but yeah, there's been so some incredible the discoveries. Mississippi River goes down, that's more impetus for me to keep looking. <laughs> Absolutely. If it bars, ever goes down. Yeah, if it ever goes down. I've been... Really, almost two years, I think, without a good fossil trip mm-hmm. on the Mississippi. Now, George, um, this is this is Java here um, in the booth. I had a quick question. Um, I know because I put it in the in the billboard about uh, everybody going out to their backyard and what? digging for fossils. What's the like actual probability or percentage you might say of uh, someone finding a fossil just in their very own backyard, as opposed <laughs> to a water pipe? The, yeah, just something because, <laughs> like you said, you found that in the, the drainage. Uh, you know what you find something in your backyard or is that not even possible <laughs> oh it, it is possible i wouldn't just start digging I, i'd look for signs that are loose on the surface first so if you've got an eroded patch in the backyard look for uh bare grass 
um, you know, we'll, we'll probably get another drought this summer in parts of the state. And you see grass die-offs, and that's always an opportunity to look at bare ground to see if you can detect anything first. But I would not start digging. The chances are greater that you'll encounter, like I say, a water pipe or uh, fiber optic cable or (laughs) something like that. The best luck we've had in a situation like that, a home situation, is finding somebody with a gravel driveway. We've always had a gravel driveway, and we found incredible things in there, really. Just sit down with two or three kids and and start looking. If you find an unusual rock... and. it helps to maybe get one of those little golden guides to mm-hmm. to fossils. I think there's one that's for gravel, isn't there? Uh, offered by the Mississippi Office of Geology. It's a really good buy. It's probably the best buy among all their fossil publications. It's a $5 color publication of gravel fossils that are in the co- in private collections, in the museum collection, and in the Office of Geology collection. So it gives you kind of a, a pattern of what to look for mm-hmm. when you're sitting down there digging out through the gravel. Now, gravel fossils are the most accessible fossil, generally speaking, throughout the state. Uh, so long as you're collecting them in the driveway and not the road. <laughs> and now this Saturday, when you, when people bring in fossils for you to identify, we'll get you're lots of gravel have fossils. A lot of gravel oh on yeah. You. yeah. yeah. All right, uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with our guest today, paleontologist George Phillips. We're talking about the Fossil Road Show that's coming up this Saturday at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You can join our conversation if you have a fossil question or a pet question or a wildlife observation. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more Creature Comforts after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio, our guest is our resident paleontologist, George Phillips. We're talking about the upcoming Fossil Roadshow this Saturday at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So if you have a fossil question for George, you can give us a call. Or if you have a pet question or a wildlife observation, join our conversation with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, George, this is year 16. Could you give us maybe a little history about how the Fossil Roadshow got started? Yeah, you bet. Uh, well, it's pretty common knowledge, at least in among museum, uh, long-term museum patrons and staff and anyone related to the Fossil Roadshow, that our very own and most senior docent probably these days, John Davis, uh, was the inspiration. He was the inspirer behind the Fossil Road. Of course, it was first implemented by our education staff, uh, and our education director at the time was Martha Cooper. And so she thought it was a great idea, and uh, they put together the first show, which I did not attend, but I was there for the second show as a, uh, I was a visiting graduate student so was at the Eleanor time. was there for the first one? Um, yes, I guess she I was. No, she was. Well, maybe not. No, it was Scott, because. So the previous director, my predecessor, I'm sorry, the previous paleontologist, my predecessor never got to be involved in the Fossil Roach. It was our collections manager, I think, who 
helped manage the uh, fossil identifications sure for right. the first fossil road show. But it, it's been around for 16 years, and we've had so much success with it. Uh, we've obviously kept it on as an event because we've got such a great response over the years. And there's so many people collecting fossils these days. Social media is just overwhelmed, at least based upon my Facebook <laughs> following. Well, we have to give MPB credit oh, on yeah. one of those things too Absolutely. because what was that the, like the fourth year mm-hmm. by then you were there mm-hmm. and MPB partnered with us mm-hmm. and did a video of mm-hmm. a film with some young people that came and, and there, were, there were young people video. that had yeah it was <laughs> Emmy nominated we got to go to the to the awards to this day my only it Emmy nomination so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, George, anything new for the Fossil, Fossil Road Show this year? Yes, we do have expectations about things that are coming in. Someone is bringing in, I mentioned the Gomphothere earlier. Someone's bringing in one of the Ice Age Gomphothere fossils, and that was one of the Mississippi River finds. I'm really excited to see that up close. You know, they say pictures are worth a thousand words. <laughs> Not always. Pictures don't always really adequately take into account, even photos taken at different angles. Uh, the scope of of the object at hand, and and that's certainly true for for many fossils. But the fossil roadshow is a chance for me to get to see some of these things that I've been following through social media and um, images that are texted to me. So we've got that, and uh, we always get surprises too. We've got some exhibitors coming in; they'll be displaying their latest finds. Um, it, I, I expect to be overwhelmed, and I am every fossil roadshow. You know, actually, though, this year I think I should attend because when I walk down the halls at work, I hear grumbling about there's the old MPB fossil. But (laughs) that's another story altogether. We'll we'll put you in the center display. (laughs) Uh, Our friend Sue is on the line from Beaumont. Sue, thanks for calling. Go ahead, please. Yes, talking about gravel fossils. Several years ago, I had a load of gravel delivered to my driveway, and I was so happy to see chunks of fossilized coral in there. And also, there was a, a rock with an imprint of a this is not an animal, you know, fossil, but there was an imprint of like a fern in the rock. I was so happy. I I, I saved <laughs> rocks out of that driveway for years. Oh, it, that gravel is really inspiring, too. It makes you want to go learn more about the things that you see and, and the shapes that you see. And that's why we're so grateful for Missick Office, Office of Geology providing that guidebook to the gravel fossils. I think that goes back to 2008. Uh, remind me again where Beaumont is. I want. It's in South Perry County. South Perry County. Okay, so um, your gravel may have come from maybe the Green Brothers gravel pit, or certainly a, a gravel pit that's not too far away. I forget the exact gravel pit, the proximity of those gravel pits, but yeah, thank goodness for the gravel pits. <laughs> and uh, for of course that it, it provides a cheap way to pave roads, particularly in rural areas. Uh, on on unstable clays and soils, but man, it sure provides a wealth of accessible fossils across the state. Mm-hmm. Thank right. you. Thanks for your call, Sue. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your call this morning if you want to join the conversation. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline dot org. So, George, we're talking about this year's Fossil Roadshow. Any different components to the show, a different way of doing things this year? Well, we have a uh, a new exhibitor this year, and we've got a special guest. I've, uh, my guest is taking on – actually, we've got at least one new exhibitor. 
My special guest this year is a, a new volunteer that I'm taking on. He will be a uh, research associate at the museum, and he's published widely over the last several decades on fossil sharks and rays from around the world, um, Africa, Europe, and even Mississippi. In fact, uh, this paleontologist is deserves all the credit in the world for making the famous red-hot truck stop one of the most uh, widely recognized fossil sites My favorite. anywhere in the world. Um, European, those Europeans and, and uh, I say particularly Europeans, there's a lot of Europeans that are very interested in uh, fossil sharks and rays. I communicate with quite a few of them. And uh, any one of them know about the Mississippi's uh, fossil site, the Red Hot Truck Stop. And uh, this gentleman's name is Jerry Case, and he discovered... This I say he discovered the locality. He was the first. The locals always knew about it as a place to find fossil shark teeth. But what I mean to say is he brought the attention of this. He brought this site to the attention of paleontologists on the East Coast. And uh, this was early in his training. Uh, he first went to Princeton with some of these remains, and eventually the Carnegie Museum of Natural History got involved. And there were some early mammals among the things that uh, Jerry my new uh, docent, my new research associate, had discovered just, uh, you know, three or four teeth of these 55-million-year-old mammals, and they proved to be quite significant, especially one particular early mammal that ultimately turned out to be an early primate. And for several years uh, in the 2000s, when it was announced, it was advertised as the oldest primate from North America. But uh, it has since been beat out by a couple of things that are like a million and a half years older. <laughs> But so nevertheless, how old uh, 55 million 55 years million. old. Mm-hmm. So it's the Red Hot Truck Stop? Red Hot Truck Stop. Where's that located? In Meridian, Mississippi. Oh, I was just uh, there. It's, it's right off of the interstate. It's on the frontage road. It's right below the Walmart Lowe's Plaza in uh, was that southeast uh, Meridian. Uh, is, the, is the truck stop still open? No, no, the Lux truck stop is long since closed, but there's that iconic sign that stood over the uh, truck stop for many years. And uh, uh, we're always thinking that we'll get a bunch of folks together and procure that sign <laughs> yeah. from from degradate, further degradation. I went as an undergraduate. That's how long oh. ago. It was in the, the mid-70s. Wow. No, early 70s. Do you remember actually. finding any fossils there? Oh, yeah. I yeah. found a lot of things. That was my very first You, of course, turned them over to the museum, right? Well, <laughs> I honestly had never even been to the museum at that oh, point. Oh, wow. And I turned them over to my geology teacher at USM, so I don't oh, know okay. where they are now. Maybe you eventually got them. Could have, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. But we went digging out there, and it was just incredibly fun. All right, got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Gary in Memphis. Gary, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, Dr. Phillips. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just wanted to know what you, uh, the Miocene-Eocene fossils are great, but what about uh, Cretaceous fossils in northern Mississippi and public collection sites there? Oh, yeah. It's, it, the northeast Mississippi is a, a hotbed for Cretaceous fossils. We've got lots of accessible exposures um, along 78. Uh, well, there used to be more. Uh, the, uh, the highway department is is uh, too um, – how do I word that? They they really keep those road cuts maintained as, as grass now. We prefer them to fall behind and allow those road cuts to continue to erode. But, uh, yeah, years ago, there used to be wonderful road cuts along 78 and 45. 
but uh, now they to stabilize the erosion on a lot of those cuts so that the uh, soil or sediment is not washed out into the highways, they do keep them nicely manicured with uh, grass and such. But uh, accessible sites to the public, we have two in northeast Mississippi. There's one uh, near Wheeler, Mississippi. It's a creek bed. Uh, it's called 20 Mile Creek, also known as William M. Browning Cretaceous Fossil Park. Um, that is an ex- a public access site thanks to the uh, landowners. Um, and then there's the uh, Blue Springs Fossil Site at an old borrow pit uh, just at the Toyota exit, the Highway 9 exit. Uh, the Blue Springs exit there on 78 between Tupelo and New Albany. Uh, th- that site is really hard to miss. You can see it from the interstate as you pass Toyota. So you want to make sure you exit off Highway 9 first. But both landowners in both cases have um, very gratefully uh, – we're very grateful to them to providing these sites continually as accessible to the public. And they are very fossil-rich, extremely so. I'm familiar with the Frankstown sand, and I think that's uh, – Probably something that really should be a story of focus for Missouri, Mississippi Department of Geology because, you know, a, a bunch of kids basically developed that site with help from Mississippi, and uh, that's a, one of the a world famous sites. I mean, there's, there's possible uh, right. very, very late Cretaceous deposits there that have yet been to look at besides those. Well, there is lag, a publication. Lag deposits. Gary, are you familiar with the publication produced by yes. the Mississippi Office of Ge- Okay. Um, right now, the uh, North Mississippi Gem and Mineral Society, I'd like to give them a plug. They're kind of the unofficial, official custodians uh, of the 20 Mile Creek site there at uh, the old Frankstown. Um, they uh, have lots of educational programs out there over the course of the year, t- typically, though, in the late spring and summer and early fall. Um, but they uh, advertise these uh, educational events out there, and they encourage the public to come out and um, learn how to find fossils in the creek. So, so in, uh, the could, bottom, in the bottom of that creek, there's gigantic concretions. What do you think is in the center of those concretions? Oh, they're shedding fossils into the creek. So the, uh, the, your average collector will go there with a sieve, and they will sieve the sediment, the residue that comes from the eroding concretions for uh, shells and shark teeth and various other kinds of fossils. But primarily people go there to collect the shark teeth. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, like in the Mary sand, other sands, when they find those large concretions, often there's something with protein-rich shell or cartilage, mosasaurs, crabs. Uh, you don't think those are in those concretions? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there are shells in those concretions. Yeah, there are several different kinds of fossils in those concretions. We found bones and shark teeth and a, and a variety of shells. Although, in general, uh, most shells do not preserve well in there, but oysters do, scallops occasionally do, brachiopods occasionally. But, yeah, they, so what you're seeing in those concretions, you should be seeing a lot more. There are similar concretions sitting out in front of the Museum of Natural Science. If you come out Saturday, you'll see them. They're chock full of shells. Well, the chemistry was just right for those concretions to preserve all types of shells and the concretions in front of the museum. But the ones in 20 Mile Creek, uh, a lot of the shells are degraded. Uh, they're dissolved, that is, and you won't actually see the shells where there should be many. Only because yeah. that they've been dissolved. 
All right, uh, Gary, we appreciate your call. We need to take another quick break. When we get back, we'll continue discussing fossils with our guest, George Phillips. We're talking about the upcoming Fossil Road Show at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science this Saturday. Also, Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions, and we always like to hear your wildlife observations as well. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this, so stay tuned. MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio, we have George Phillips, paleontologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The museum is hosting the Fossil Roadshow this Saturday, so George has been talking fossils with us. If you have a question for George or a pet question for Dr. Major or something that you've seen out and about in Mississippi and want to report to us, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Now, George, you're one of the few people I know that can pull off show and tell on the radio, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But first, is there a type of fossil that is more abundant in Mississippi? So, in other words, if someone were to a a beginning fossil collector, is there something that they would be more likely to find than than something else? Oh, but it's based on location, location, location. So we were mentioning mentioning northeast Mississippi. There are places that are uh, rich in oyster shells. Uh, and there are places that are rich in the shark teeth, like the Wheeler locality, 20 Mile Creek. Um, and then there are places like uh, the Blue Springs fossil site that we mentioned earlier, where the borrow pit is just filled with all manner of things, shells and bone fragments. Uh, sea tur- a lot of the bones belong to sea turtles. Uh, and, of course, we mentioned the gravel fossils, uh, which are rich in um, seafloor critters, uh, things like corals and um, crinoids, things that lived on the seafloor, which is uh, one of my favorite areas of study, are the uh, the things that lived on and in the seafloor. I know it's not as exciting as dinosaurs, and I'll never get the news coverage I did for the uh, horned dinosaur fossil discovery <laughs> a couple of years ago, as, as much as I will for that. But I, I really love the seafloor critters, because uh, it's where my imagination, I think, really comes alive. Believe it or not. <laughs> All right. So uh, you do have a box with you there. So I do. Speaking tell of, us what you got going. Speaking of seafloor critters, did we segue, segue oh. that properly? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a fo- – what, what do you think it is? What were we just talking about? Uh, it looks like a shell. Right. It is a shell. This is an ancient type of oyster. This dates the Cretaceous period. It's from uh, north Mississippi. I think this specimen is from uh, Starkville. Uh, Houston, Mississippi. This is a fossil from Houston, Mississippi that we found in the landfill up there. And it is the subject of one of my current research projects. In fact, I'm writing on it at the about it at the museum right now. Not specifically on the oyster itself, but what it, they attach to on the seafloor. So this is a typical form. They, they are spiral, if you can imagine a spiral object, but it doesn't spiral about um, neatly about a center with with bilateral symmetry or symmetry on both sides, it spirals out a little bit instead of along a single plane. And so it lo- looks sort of like a, a horn, uh, a, uh, the, what are the horn of cornucopia, cornucopia horns, mm-hmm. uh, except it's very compact and it makes sort of a circle. 
And this is the bottom shell, and they live on the seafloor in a position much like this. And to hear it, let me knock it against this other fossil gently. So this pretty well fossilized. Uh, both of these objects are. And this in my right hand, so that's the oysters in my left hand, and this in my right hand is a type of clam. Most of the shell of this clam is missing. Okay, and what you have in place of it is a cast. Uh, the seafloor mud filled inside the shell before the shell completely de decomposed. Here's the undecomposed shell right here. You can see the nacre from where you're sitting. Mm -hmm. At least my the studio folks can. Um, but you still get the same pattern uh, that you do on the shell, that <coughs> ribbing or um, washboard effect on the surface of the shell is left in the cast of the clam. Well... Uh, here is now the oysters like to attach to things on the seafloor. Now this one you don't see the point of attachment on this oyster. It's actually there, but it was attached to a small animal, and as the shell grew, it consumed the animal or the animal decomposed. Okay, in this case it looks like it decomposed before the shell got very big. So these oyster larvae are swimming around in the water and they land on something hard on the seafloor and then they attach to it, they cement to it, then they start growing. This is an oyster, okay, but notice it doesn't have the same pattern on the bottom. It has a washboard pattern. Where else did we see that washboard pattern? We saw it in this shell. Now this, this clam right here is called an inoceramid clam. It's a group of clams that are very abundant during the Cretaceous period, but they're now extinct. What has happened here is the little oyster larva settled inside the shell of the clam, Okay, and it grew to a size, and it took on an impression. It took on the shape of the washboard effect on the surface of the clam. So now it has a, a facsimile of sorts of that clam, an impression of that clam, due, for, due to it growing on the surface, or in this case, on the inside of the clam. So isn't that cool? That's Everybody said that's the coolest that thing. That I'm saying. I think it's cool. Yeah. All right. And so the first one you held up, um, to which to me reminds me of a, I think they call them a scallop shell uh, that you might find on the beach. That's about, what, the size of your palm, I guess. Right, right. right. So the little inoceramid clams can fit in the palm. Uh, but the oysters get really big. They get bigger than my hand. Now, here's another one of the oysters. And it grew on a different oh. type of clam. And look what detail the that was left inside the scar. We call these attachment scars. Look what detail there. So we can identify some of these things to species. That's how much detail we get. So the substrates or, or the things to which the oysters attached can be identified. And we can we are currently doing uh, censuses of the things that oysters attach to. And we're seeing that from locality to locality and from formation to formation and from time to time, those attach those things that the oysters are attaching to are changing, and they vary over time and space. Here's another type of oyster. And in this case, actually part of the shell was left in the attachment scar. And that's from a very big one. That was attached to a clam that was about that big or bigger. Something He's doing like, like about a dinner plate size. Right, right. Yeah. All right, so again, give us an idea of how old these creatures would would be. Uh, that's a good question. Um, we, we expect that like in modern oysters, uh, you can count the layers in the shell, at least um, uh, sets of the layers, sometimes represent a single year. But I, I actually 
have not gotten to that part of the research yet to be able to tell how old they are. I surmise from the uh, growth layers on this thing that it's at least um, seven or eight years old, but it's possibly older. Um, that is not my area of expertise, and I wouldn't um, um, propose any exact range of age on that thing. But some of these oysters are massive, and they show many, many, many layers, and they were they were probably in excess of 30 or 40 years old for the uh, oyster the size of your hand. Yeah, so again, to give folks in it, uh, that are listening an idea, it is that most of about three of them look to be about the size of your palm. Then there's a couple of smaller ones. That first clam that you talked about, uh, it's a little bit smaller, probably, what, uh, about half the size of the other ones. Right, and the clams, they're not... Uh, so with the oysters, these types of oysters, these um, what are called gryphene oysters, this one's exogyra and this is um, pycnodonty, these gryphene oysters, they're getting thicker and thicker and thicker when they get older, whereas the clams are just getting larger and larger. They have more outward growth than they do have um, uh, thickness, uh, growth and thickness. So the, an oyster can be really, really old and be the same size as a clam, and it be much younger than the clam, if that makes sense. And then there's a little bit of uh, color differences. Would that be... Sound effects. <laughs> One oyster encountering another. Would that the color of the fossil be like what sediment was present there or i mean yeah generally the color is reflecting uh whatever type of uh water that was in the um the pore spaces and that flowed through the oyster and passed across the um the uh, mineral lattice of the oyster and there was probably replacement of minerals but we do see indigenous or uh, colors uh, colors that are actually native to the actual living animal in some of the oysters from time to time, not always, but we, most of the time that color has been altered to some degree or another. All right, and so if someone is interested and attends the Fossil Roadshow this Saturday, would you be able to show them that? It's not on the agenda. Okay. It wasn't keen enough to be on the agenda, but uh, we, we will probably have some out just so to show them So you're saying there are going to be some things even cooler than these oysters. Even cooler. <laughs> Believe it or not. Okay. I think this is the, if I bring it out, I think it'll be the coolest thing in the show, but some people may beg to differ. All right, uh, let's take one final break this hour. We are on Creature Comforts this morning, visiting with George Phillips, paleontologist at the Museum Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, in advance of their fossil roadshow that takes place this Saturday. Still time for you to call in with a comment or a question. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back up back to wrap up creature comforts after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today in studio we have George Phillips, paleontologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We've been talking to George about fossils in general and specifically giving some uh, information about the upcoming Fossil Roadshow, the 16th annual Fossil Roadshow. That's this Saturday at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, so, George, maybe a little bit of nuts and bolts. Uh, when, uh, what are the hours for the Fossil Road Show? Well, we start at uh, 10 o'clock, and it goes till 3 o'clock. Um, the museum opens at 9 o'clock and, of course, closes at 5. But um, we will be assembling and trying to get our vendor vendors, our exhibitors together, getting everybody placed by, uh, you know, up till 10 o'clock. 
Uh, so we just ask everybody to be patient. There's always people that get there early and they want their <laughs> stuff identified. Um, but we really don't start the identifications until 10 o'clock. It's just, it, it can be, there's been years it's been absolutely chaotic. I've had lines of seven or eight different um, individuals, and sometimes those individuals had families, and each person in the family will have something they need to identify. So we beg your patience. When you walk in the museum and then look down over the balcony, it looks a lot like the Antique Roadshow. Mm -hmm. There are tables set up with different kind of specialties for each one, and then people line up. There's sort of a, a, a triage going on where when you walk up, They'll, they'll, you know, look at your thing and tell you which table would be the best one for you to start with. And we and ask, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, instead of a, a monetary value, they're going to tell you how right, old it good is, point. what it is, right. and how old it is. Exactly. Is and usually other things about it, and they'll even write things down for you so you can And it doesn't matter it where the fossil is from, and it doesn't have to be a fossil. It could be an, uh, it could be an artifact. We'll have archaeologists on hand. We'll have at least one on hand. Um, so if it's uh, if it's a foundling of any sort, it, as long as it's not living, <laughs> you can uh, bring it into the museum to have it identified. So it has to be inanimate. Sometimes it's actually a little unclear. If something's weathered a lot, is it a That's piece true. of pottery? It could right. be Indian pottery. Right. And, um, so we get a lot of what's-its. Mm-hmm. What is this? Yeah. So if um, if someone doesn't have anything, they can still go because you oh, absolutely exhibitors. yeah it's it's not the price of admission. Often it's the price of attention. If you want to garner attention from our panel of fossil uh, experts, um, you, we're, we're interested in looking at your specimens. But we're also there to teach people about paleontology. Uh, the fossil wall will be on grand display as it always is, and it's used a lot uh, during the uh, um, the program because we're often explaining to people where things fit in time. And the uh, the fossil wall that Libby played a very large role in creating. It's uh, to this day it's the best fossil exhibit uh, for many many different reasons that I've ever encountered. I've had a very small role in it. I guess it was in no, Sloth Island. Had a good well, well, the renovation I did, but the whole concept is is just very convenient. I like that it's compact. Can't carry it with you, but you can see it in one stroke of a glance, and you can see Mississippi's pretty much Mississippi's entire fossil history. All right, so we're kind of going back here, but remind us again: what is a fossil? Oh, uh, a fossil is is any remnant of a living organism. Uh, the loosest definition would include uh, maybe that old cow bone <laughs> you found in your backyard. Um, but it, most people restrict it to things that are at least uh, dating to the Ice Age, so at least about 11,500 years old uh, and older. Those would be things classified as fossils, and they can be the actual skeletal part of the animal itself, and typically we only find the skeletal parts. So a, a seashell like this oyster is considered a skeletal part of the animal, and it's not all the animal. Uh, of course, there was living tissue, there's soft tissues that composed a large part of the animal as well. But uh, bones for vertebrate animals uh, are the skeletal parts, obviously. Um, and occasionally, in rare occasions, you will get soft tissue preservation. We don't see much of it in Mississippi, uh, but it is it does happen in desert environments, in desert caves, in um, uh, permafrost, in in the uh, tundra, in northern latitudes. That it happens, you get uh, horses and muskox preserved. Um, so just any remnant of any living animal whatsoever. Oh, but then also, like sometimes it's the actual thing. But then it could be like an impression into something right. else. Right, and we call those traces. So in the example of this um, clam right here, it is an impression of that clam. We find lots of fossil excrement. 
which is a lot more abundant in the fossil record than people t- <laughs> than people recognize. Um, we do find lots of that, and most of it's small, but we do find some big pieces. We've got some fossil poo that's the size of my clenched fist. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got a call here on the line. We say good morning to Helen, who's on the air with us. Go ahead, Helen. Yes, I have a, a four-year-old boxer that we got spayed of, uh, about a year ago, and she kept going into false pregnancy is one of the reasons we got her spayed, and now she's in false pregnancy again, and she just totes this little rubber toy around and cries and pants. Is there anything we can do? You know, usually the... Uh Having her spayed uh, takes care of that problem, and uh, I'm not sure. How long ago was it that she was spayed? How long ago? About a year. Okay. And, of course, it could be a seasonal thing with her right now. Uh, When I say seasonal, a lot of our uh, dogs are in season right now. So I'm not sure what's going on with her. You need to talk to your vet. I would say that there's... Very little you could do hormonally. Uh, there is a test that you can do, and usually it's estrogen-related, uh, and that's one reason that when spay dogs, the ovaries are removed, uh, which uh, prevents them from coming into season. So I would say talk to your vet. I'm not so sure that there's anything that can be done now. It should wear off at some point, I would think. Okay? All right, Helen. Uh, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Just a couple minutes left in the show. Um, so, George, if you find something in your property that you think is a fossil, uh, what's the best way to go about to maybe trying to preserve it and then for possible identification uh, at a later date? Well, preservation of fossils, I guess, depends upon the nature of the fossil. Um, some people think that it's a good idea if they've gotten it out of a wet ground, uh, say if it's a bone and it's unstable, that Uh, you should keep it wet until um, you get it to the proper authorities. And what happens is they take it from one kind of water uh, or saturated and water-saturated sediment, and then they'll put it in water that comes out of a tap. And believe it or not, we've had several cases of this (laughs) over the years. And actually, the tap water is destructive to the um, because of the chlorine in it, and it's oxygenated. Whereas the water-saturated sediment is does not have as much oxygen. It is not chlorinated. So uh, I have seen part of a tusk decompose over the course of several weeks because it was exposed to water that was of not the same chemistry it came out of. So believe it or not, that's a problem. That's an issue that I've encountered several times. So, yeah, it's always good to contact someone that's familiar with fossil preservation. But most fossils are fairly stable. They just require uh, removal from where they are, where they could incur further damage. So just the act of collecting fossils, you have rescued it from further damage. Now, people are sad when the fossil starts breaking down at their house. But that's why you found it anyway. You found it exposed. And when they expose, they degrade. They're going to degrade a lot slower at home in your box. As long as your little brother doesn't shake the box, they'll be okay. They're in much better shape in your hand than they are sitting on the surface of the ground. So think of it in terms of finding a fossil. You are rescuing it from disintegration. All right. Uh, if you if you dig something up in property that you own, you are the owner of it? Correct. Correct. That is correct. And, you know, always get permission to go fossil collecting. 
Um, there, I don't think there are any uh, laws on the books with regards to certain fossils. I, I know for Alabama, their state fossil cannot be um, uh, exported out of the state. Uh, technically, you do have to have permission. We, we don't have such a law, um, but I don't think Alabama enforces their law much anyway. Um, we uh, our state fossil is Ziggy, and Ziggy will be Ziggy the Zygariza whale. It's a, an early type of whale. She will be on prominent display at the show, as will her partner near the balcony, uh, Basilosaurus. Our specimen being 62 feet long. Uh, Basilosaurus is the state fossil of Alabama, um, but both whales are important to the fossil history of both states, and were one of the first types of fossils ever described from Dixie. And you younger folks who don't know what Dixie is, uh, Dixie is the twin states, Alabama and Mississippi. All right. So the 16th Annual Fossil Roadshow takes place this Saturday, uh, March 9th. Is that right? Is that, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, from 10 till 3 at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science in Jackson. Which is open from 9 to 5. All right. Very good. <laughs> That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest paleontologist George Phillips, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.